It's Just Business with Steve Thomas and your host, Chris Larry. Hello and welcome to another episode of It's Just Business on the Hogstein Network, the show where we look at the dollars and cents of the sports media business industrial complex in all of its global glory. How you doing today, Steve? I'm doing all right, man. How about you? What's going on? Oh, not bad. Not bad. Normal. Uh, yeah, I think I'm... it's our eighth straight rainy Saturday in, in New York or something like that. It's crazy. We haven't had eight total rain days down here in Texas in like all year. So <laughs> I was a bit distressed in that this morning on my morning exercise, I had to put on a jacket and that bothered me. We've had it, it, we've got the the horrible curse of it being lovely Monday through Thursday, and then the rain descends Friday through Sunday. So great. <laughs> so I did uh, I did I think I told you last time I had to go to uh, New Orleans for a business trip, which I did, and uh, I my I had been to New Orleans in a few years, and and my fear was justified in that you know with me with my crazy diet, New Orleans is not the place to go to look for health food. I've confirmed this. <laughs> You know this fact there, and it was a uh, it was a bit tough. Um, Not even like a nice lean piece of fish. Well, I that's what I it found that, but it wasn't easy, you know. So yeah, that I did do fish, um, but nonetheless, it's it's uh, it was difficult. But fortunately, I was not in the French Quarter. You know, it was in the the business district, so that made me slightly happier because me, Mister Party Animal, of course, as you well know. <laughs> <laughs> There are some good like um like jazz bar type things that are fun, you know, in New Orleans if you can stay away from the from the chaos. Um so I would I do appreciate a decent jazz bar even though jazz is not always my up my, my normal, you know, my normal taste, but uh there's a place for it. So I can respect I can appreciate New Orleans for that, but their food, man, if you're trying to eat healthy, that is not the place to be. No, that is a that is a fair statement, I would imagine. Um, in my experience in New Orleans, uh, would back I'm not that a up. fan of Cajun food anyway, particularly even when I ate whatever I wanted, I I'm just not a fan. And so it was like to the point where I was thinking, do I, maybe I'll just drag my own food to this, to this little event. How about that? Well, you know, like throw it in a suit. Could I get away with throwing two days worth of food in a suitcase? Or I'm glad you just... decided against that. That sounds gross. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of did. That's why I didn't do it. I thought, okay, that's ridiculous. It's a thought, but it's ridiculous. So I'm not doing that. <laughs> Where would be the best city to travel to with your diet? Like the Northwest with all the fish markets or something? Yeah, yeah. I unplugged myself there for a minute, so I missed the first half of your comment, unfortunately. <laughs> I was saying, with your diet, where would be the optimal region or city to eat in? Well, I mean, Cajun food in particular, I think, is unhealthy. Yeah, I, I think the north, um, northwest, maybe, like you said, um, the food that's like not known for being, you know, really tarted up with spice and sauce and stuff. And then you can do a lot of seafood because I can do a lot of seafood, so that's not a bad one. Um, like a major city like New York, you can find whatever you want, uh, you know, right. in a place like that. So I mean, that's easy enough. Um, but something that's like really specific cuisine like new orleans or you get in the south and it's like all um you know fat and you know butter butter yeah no, no that's good so i'll starve down there too but i'm getting used to it at this point i've been doing this you know this is like 
year two for this. So at, at this point, I'm getting good at saying, okay, you know, to like wait staff, I'm not trying to be difficult with you here, but you know, I'm going to have to special order stuff. And they go, oh, okay. So you know, usually I just say, look, just take a piece of chicken and put it on the grill. Don't do anything to it at all. Just throw it on the grill. Just do that much for me. And usually they will do it. So even in New Orleans, they're most of the time get by that, getting, you know, get down with that. An unblackened chicken. That's exactly what I ordered. I ordered a blackened at this restaurant in New Orleans, blackened redfish. And I said, okay, don't blacken it. Because I, I, oh, it's on the menu as blackened redfish, but just skip the blackened part. Just put it on the grill. And he kind of looked at me a little bit funny. And I just, you know, humor me and came through. So, again, I'm getting good at this. I have an experience at this at this point. Well, chef, some chefs hate special orders, and there's some holdouts. But in a, in the litigious world that we live in, most restaurants will bend over backwards on these things, like allergies and other things, because they they mostly because they're trying to avoid being sued. Well, yeah, I mean, and this is also why I typically say I don't want to insult like a chef at a good place. This is also why I usually say I have diet restrictions. This is why I'm doing it. I'm not trying to be difficult, but you know that that's why I usually tell them that just to avoid any. You know, I don't want to have like you know, like a sitcom thing come out, you know, where the chef comes out and yells at me because yeah. I messed up his redfish, you know. <laughs> yeah, chasing you around with a meat cleaver. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like straight out of like an episode of like Frasier or something, you know. Um, hey, by the wow. way, did you see on another note, the reboot of Frasier started? Have you I seen- did see that. I mean, how can you not if you watch a, even a second of uh, football? I, did you watch the episode? I did not. I, I have watched it. Real quick, Frasier review. It was, I think, a group of people who were trying too hard to recreate the magic of the first show, which was truly great, but with a bunch of blocks of wood plus Kelsey Grammer. So it was, uh, wasn't horrible, but it was not close to the magic that was the original show. That was my, that was my impression. Is it on Paramount only, or is it on CBS I, proper? Well, I think no, it's not on CBS proper. But I think they're going the and it is on Paramount streaming. But I think they're going to broadcast it somewhere on t- television, maybe on the Paramount Network, maybe somewhere. It's going to be brought. I saw it like on a commercial that they're going to broadcast the first episode like a few weeks behind. You know. Well, and I think there's some legal machinations about why this didn't happen earlier, but the the writers strike and now the Screen Actors Guild strike. So and those things doubling up is obviously delayed television and movie production. So uh, an incredibly smart thing that CBS is doing, which I don't know if they could have done a couple of years ago because of some weirdness about who produced it, who owned the rights, etc. But the writer strike has given CBS the opportunity to put Yellowstone from episode one on CBS, right. which is obviously doing huge numbers. It done huge numbers on streaming. Um, and, you know, it's probably one of there's two brilliant moves the networks have made to fill time, essentially, because of the delay in production. And that is finally moving Monday Night Football back to ABC, which I think we already talked about. Right. And. They just decided, what the heck, let's just put Yellowstone on episode one, season one at the first weekend of football, and it's off to huge numbers. It has no competition. Right. <laughs> it's nothing new. And it already had a huge baked-in audience, or people that wanted to finally check it out. So it was a brilliant move. 
See, I ha- I'm not watching because I just got through watching Yellowstone for the first time like a month ago. So I don't really need to watch it again, but it is a brilliant movie. In the case of Frasier, there was more t- part of the delay for years and years with Frasier is that none of the cast but Kelsey Grammer wanted to do it. And none of them are doing it. You know, the the story in the case of Frasier is he moves to Boston to try to link up with his son who's not the same actor as played the child in the original. And then they've thrown in like his brother's son who wasn't in, who wasn't you know born yet in the original show. And then there's a, somebody's girlfriend hanging around and a couple of professors and stuff like an entirely new thing, but you can see where they've tried to categorize each one of these characters into the, an equivalent role in the old show to try to recreate the magic. And usually when you try to do that, it doesn't work. Reboots are tough tough business it's very it's rare they rarely work well who the show that did it that with all the same characters recently was um a few years ago what was it um oh god there was a the the lead guy was homosexual and he was living with a girl in an apartment i can't remember anyway dexter what's that no no not dexter no no not dexter it was a sitcom like how I met your mother? Or, no, that's not it. It was a sitcom. No, they re- they sort of rebooted that as how I met your father, which is also not doing very well on streaming. Yeah, well, I can't. But but there's very few. You know, like they created, they did Full House for a year or two, you know. But without the leads, you know, all the leads, it doesn't work. Um, but if you could get everybody back on the same set and kind of just continue a story, that would have more shot at it. But when you're trying to recreate the magic. It's like here. I have another example. The band Foreigner. Who doesn't love Foreigner? If you're a rock and roll fan, you know Foreigner. These guys have been touring for 20 years with no original members, and now they are having a farewell tour. Right now, but who wants to see a sanctioned cover band on a farewell <laughs> tour? It's like you cannot. You can't go home again. Uh, you know, with this. <laughs> I don't care if you want to say goodbye. I don't care. You know, it's not like Lou Graham isn't saying goodbye. He he got thrown out a long time ago. Mick Jones is the guy behind the the scenes now at this point. So that's a you know it's the same thing as these sitcoms. Like you can't recreate stuff. I think, and they try too hard. The this is a a, a wild aside, but cover bands sparked it. One of the. I, I could never tell if it was one of my low points in rock and roll or high points in rock and roll. But uh, I was in bands for many, 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 many years. New York City, punk rock band called The Hecklers for, I don't know, 10 plus years. You were, I didn't know you were a musician. Are you a vocalist? You sing? What do you do? I sang and, and played rudimentary rhythm guitar. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. And so, I can, like I said, maybe you all out there can help me decide if this is a low point or high point in my rock and roll career. But we opened up, opened up for Mini Kiss. Now you might remember Mini Kiss tribute band because they would show up on commercials. They were, I think, actually even a Super Bowl commercial. I would tell people I opened up for a band that was featured in a, a Super Bowl ad. But um, <laughs> they were they were little people, uh, I believe is the correct term nowadays. Um, that dressed up as Kiss and did a, a tribute band. So we we opened up for them. <laughs> So, which is funny enough as it is, but they're not even a true cover band in that all they did was get up there with cardboard instrument instruments and sing to real kiss tracks. Oh my god! So they did, you know, it wasn't even like they played, you know, like you know, strutter or whatever. Um, you know, they just played fake instruments and sang the track, and 
they probably got paid a, a decent chunk of change. We got get, we were paid with a case of beer, and they charged us five dollars to take a Polaroid with them. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what, man? I mean, no, that's not your proudest moment. Um, but that's you on stage playing your stuff with the band, and that's not a low point. That's never a low point. No, no, that was fun. And I actually think, you know, it was actually a great night. But uh, it, and the funniest thing was, too, that the DJ just kind of, probably, you know, hit play on, you know, Kiss Alive 2 or whatever, and then probably went and, you know, got dinner. Uh, <laughs> and so he wasn't or he just had something. And so Cheap Trick Surrender started playing when their set was supposed to be done. But the mini kiss didn't really know so they, then they just started lip-syncing surrender <laughs> <laughs> i the funny thing is i know who this band is yeah yeah, I've seen, mad yeah I've seen them around yeah no yeah. that's funny I, who knew i know somebody opened up for mini kiss now that's just that's wild mini dude. kiss <laughs> uh yeah somewhere I, I have to dig it up somewhere i have i have the polaroid <laughs> they charged us five i bucks. didn't know you could play a little bit of guitar though so you can strum a d chord if you had to then I play guitar like the bottom three strings don't matter. Okay, yeah, so I understand. It is That's all, punk. That's punk. Yeah, yeah. yes. It, right. I learned you know, Johnny Ramone was my guitar. So you guitar. can do a two-string bar chord and beat on that in eighth notes for three minutes, three straight minutes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, we even had three guitar players at one point, uh, as much so that I could just freelance, which meant not playing guitar. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I like All right, it. I no, can... we'll, we'll, we'll transition from from mini kiss and rock and roll and and unblackened redfish into uh, the uh, implications of of international conflict. So uh, there's no real uh, elegant way to make that transition. No, so, there, there's that's not a smooth transition to this. So we'll jump into our first story, which um, you know. When you have global conflict, they usually touch all aspects of society, and so with, I guess. Best way to say it is war raging in the Middle East um, with threats to spread. Um, there are people looking at uh, Middle Eastern country sovereign wealth funds involvement in all kinds of things, but for our purposes into sports. Um, and because we're we're sort of at least a tangentially a Washington, D.C. based podcast, that's even a stretch. But we have the hogsty is. And uh, it's got some local DMV implications in that the kind of Ted Leonsis, owner of the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards, and the Mystic, amongst other things, uh, also runs what we now call Monumental Sports, which we used to call uh, what, NBC Washington or whatever, um, has direct ties with the Qatar government. And we talked about this actually when it happened and that they are buying in on a 5% stake, I think on Monumental overall, although there's some, you know, the NBA still hasn't signed off on that ownership piece, the NHL has. But now we've got an issue, you know, we've been talking about these issues for a long time when it was just a random Washington Post journalist who was, you know, killed or, you know, kind of run of the mill international grief or, you know, slave labor deaths, that those things can get brushed under the table. But now we're people are looking at all things and uh, the Cutter's involvement in monumental sports is going to come under and has come under some deep scrutiny from a number of places, including the parents of um, some American of an American hostage who are 
basically i've seen the i've seen this uh this family a number of times they're one of the more vocal american families on this trying to get their son back understandably so who are seeing ted leonsis and monumental sports as a lever point in helping to get their son home basically yeah um so if you want to read about this we found this in the daily wire call uh the title is parents of hostage plead with nhl team owned by hamas sponsor cutter uh by luke rosiak dated October 20, 2023. And so, and again, like Chris said, we mentioned this before, but the sovereign wealth fund of the government of Qatar um, is investing in monumental sports, 5% stake, or, you know, in, in the process of trying to close this deal. And, and by the way, if you don't know what a sovereign wealth fund is, it's basically the investment fund of a government. The United States doesn't really do this, but a lot of these Middle Eastern countries do it. This is the same um, type of outfit that bought into uh, Live Golf or created Live Golf. Rather, it's the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. And so that's what this – so this is Qatar basically taking oil money and investing it for profit around the world. And so they have in, are in the process of investing in Monumental Sports, which owns the Washington Capitals and Washington Wizards and a bunch of television assets and whatnot. Um, and so what the story, the angle of the story, and, and the Daily Wire will tell you that they are a, a media outlet that intentionally and openly has a conservative slant to it. And so, you know, as in all media, take, you know, take their perspective for what you will, depending on where you fall. But so the story here is talking about how uh, a family whose son is has been kidnapped by Hamas in Gaza um, has made an issue of the government of Qatar being allowed to buy into an American sports company because the the government of Qatar has, so it's alleged, been a sponsor of terrorism, specifically Hamas, which is why this family is uh, upset about it. And they've written the commissioner in the NHL, Gary Bruce, about it. Um, they haven't. They, 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 in, uh, NBA has not said anything yet. The NBA has not seen signed off on this yet. Um, it is definitely a bad look. I think right now, for sure, there's a reason why the NBA has not let sovereign wealth wealth funds buy in in the past, and just knew that they're even considering it. Um, because there's a lot of PR. No matter how you fall, wherever you come out on the Israeli Palestine Palestine conflict. Um, you know, inviting that sort of thing into American business just for the sake of raising some money for the owner of Monumental Sports, I think is questionable. Um, and so that's the fundamental nature of the conflict. Um, it's only been recently that any league has allowed business entities, period, you know, like the NFL does not, still doesn't let this. The NFL um, requires close individual ownership. And and part of the reason is they don't want to turn it too corporate. But I think the other part is, you know, you don't want to get too political. And that's what this is. And the Daily Wire has taken a very hard stance in the Israeli-Palestine conflict. And so that's kind of the bent of the story here. But I do think it raises uh, an important issue in this, which is, how much foreign involvement do you really want in sports? So your thoughts. 
Yeah, it's a it's a complicated one. I mean, I think we, you know, well, first of all, I think I think this would have I think the NBA would have uh, and still might would have allowed this with if, if the status quo of September 1st, so to speak, was was holding true, you know, or October 1st. We weren't in this conflict. It's obviously sprung up and well, at least gotten a lot hotter in the last two weeks. Um the NBA would be fine. I think they'd be fine with this. I mean, we talked about the hypocrisy of China versus the Middle East, all that. Like, so I think this would have flown. I think the NBA would would have eventually rubber stamped this. Now we'll see. I mean, they're they were in the middle of a process, so you know, facts change. So we'll see. I think watching the NBA here is is interesting. I think that this is immensely complex, even in a sports business way, in that. There are lots of bad actors. There's lots of actors that there's lots of money in these businesses that, you know, can be shady and all that. It is definitely a level up when you take it from a sovereign fund that's so connected to a government and so connected to a, let's just be frank, a religion and is so connected to an area of the world that has never come. And so... Uh, I don't think it sort of matters really your take on any of the particular issues here to not acknowledge that taking this money is petting a cobra for whatever reason, right? You could just look at Cutter's preparations for the them hosting the World Cup and the, you know, to be polite, the indentured servitude that result that was essentially de facto slavery and resulted in the deaths of many, many workers. Um, and that's just, you know, that that's what the we conditions that they lived in to get yeah. to death as well. So, uh, just cause they didn't die, didn't mean they weren't treated badly. So, or that it wasn't slavery. So, you know, that was our, those things were already known Hamas, no Hamas. Right. So like this was petting the Cobra regardless. And anytime you start to sprinkle in international politics international conflict and your need to constantly be bringing in more money and raising you know the capital that it needs to compete and i don't mean just in this on the field or on the ice i mean in the media sports landscape business landscape you're gonna have to make these kinds of decisions and obviously ted leonsis and monumental sports made these just made this decision with plenty of facts on the ground before any of this so i mean the fact that they would be surprised by this uh would be i would find shockingly dumb and i don't think is the case so that means you could only make the assessment that they made a clear-eyed decision that at some point this didn't matter yeah so i think there's a big difference between having an investor who happens to be from another country, <laughs> pick your country, doesn't matter. And then having the sovereign wealth fund of a nation. Yeah, this isn't like Egypt's biggest billionaire or whatever. No, this is that's, a, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, like if Carlos Slim wanted to come in and buy a basketball team, would anybody have a problem with that? I mean, there's a lot of drug cartels in Mexico, but that's not Carlos Slim. He just is a businessman who happens to be from Mexico. This is another matter because it's a government. And so I think it's not unfair if you're going to invite a government into your investment team for people to question um, question the motives and question why you're doing it. And then it's not unfair, I think, for you to be saddled with the 
positive and negatives of the politics of that region if you're going to invite them to directly be an investor in your business. It's like, you know, it's like you and I wanted to let a convicted murderer or a convicted, you know, rapist onto this show. Well, we would have to own that, you know, for inviting this person to come in on the show for better or for worse. And that's the same thing here. And, and yeah, I mean, and first of all, listen, I mean, as someone who's been unfortunately deployed to the Middle East, courtesy of the Department of Defense, this intention server thing is not new. No. It's not new to Qatar either. All those countries over there do it. And if you've been in the military, you know what I'm talking about, uh, you know? And so it's really a regional problem. Um, so I don't think it's unfair. And if it were me, and I were Ted Leonsis. I would just bag this. Go. There's a million investors out there who would die to get five percent of a basketball team and hockey team. I don't know why this particular entity is this important to him. I would just say no to it and get out of it altogether. It's um, I. It's not gonna. It's gonna bring nothing but bad PR to his organization for money that could be replaced from somewhere else. So I would tell him not to do it. If he, he uh, yeah, it, it, Tom Lavero in the Washington Times wrote a column about this. I think it was published on Friday. We're recording this on Saturday. Um, that goes even actually a little bit deeper in in naming where the actual connections are between the Qatar government and Hamas, and you know, so if you, and you know, Washington Times obviously another conservative out uh, outlet, but not openly, know anything, but, but yeah, yeah. But if you know Tom Lavero, yeah, I brought he's up certainly the Daily not, Wire. So, so my, my point is that yeah, that there are many voices yeah. out there. They're not necessarily all on the on the political right. I just meant the Daily Wire advertises itself as a conservative yeah, outlet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And everybody knows the Washington Times to be. But Tom yes. Libero is not. So no, uh, not. so that you, you it does so that you know that this is not a, an easily partisan conversation. And I just would point people to that article because he actually goes in a little bit deeper on just actually the actual ties between you know that where the sort of problems lie in terms of their you know aiding and abetting Hamas over the years, not necessarily in the last couple of weeks. And, and if you're following the news at all, Qatar has tried to position itself as a mediator here in, in the release of these hostages, which might be, you know, why the, the family here is using this lever point, um, you know, kind of does make sense on many levels why they would do it. So, um, yeah, I don't. Well, here's the thing, Chris. It's like, I agree with all, all of what you're saying, and we're not going to get into opinions about it here um about the politics of the situation but why would you want to invite that controversy into your organization i yeah i agree i just think my point was the same in august you know or whatever yeah. when this first came out i i you know like uh, to me this was bound to happen i'm not saying that, that this particular this but things were going to happen right like when you are aligning yourself with the government in a hot spot area that has overt political and religious opinions you know i mean that's this isn't sweden right this isn't uh kenya this isn't you know ecuador right like you know there's plenty of countries and i'm not saying those are p perfect places but they're not built on a totalitarian religion-based governmental it's a secular system. government yeah so right so th that's a that's a stark contrast right there and it's not lost on anybody um that you know the the qatari government 
uh, is not investing in the Florida Panthers. They're not investing in, um, you know, the the, the Columbus Blue Jackets. They're investing in a company that's based in Washington, D.C. So if you don't think this is access to influence peddling, you're insane. So like, you know, which is, which is, again, that's an issue that, you know, regardless of what's going on on the global stage, I mean, so you could make an argument that Ted Leonsis is, you know, opening up a back door to foreign influence in, you know, it's just a whole lobbying, you know, there's all kinds of basically, you know, opening up the floodgates into access into D.C. politics, D.C. culture, D.C. society, et cetera, et cetera. So I just think, you know, this was probably a bad idea from the beginning. And this just shows you, oh, I have my, you know, my hand in the oven, but it's only at 200 so I can deal with it when the the oven goes to 600, you, you know, like you shouldn't you shouldn't be surprised. Well, also, you know. Do, do the Wizards have cheerleaders? I'm sure they do, or a dance team or something. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Qatar is a Muslim secular government at which that religion does not believe in scantily clad women running around. You know, so are we going to see influences like that on the team if the guy brings in the Qatari sovereign wealth fund? Uh, you know, is that right? I, I Yeah, I, I, I don't understand. I, I think I could... If I were Ted Leonsis, I could find a hundred people who'd be willing to throw in two hundred million to go buy into an NBA and uh, NHL team. Literally, you could probably find a hundred people if you looked hard enough. Half of Hollywood would want to do it. You know, you could go find some the next Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks or something. You, there's a million people. So I, it's it's just a dumb idea. He needs to say no. The NBA needs to say no. You don't want. To bring this because there's it's there's a no win situation. If you bring in Qatar, Qatar, I say Qatar, but it's Qatar. They're going to have the pro-Israeli crowd mad at you. If you say no to them, then you're going to have the pro-Palestinian, pro you know Islamic rights crowd mad at you. Just avoid it entirely. It's just crazy. Don't do I, it. I, with the acknowledgement that I think the Daily Wire sort of set out to embarrass the PR uh, representative from Monumental Sports. And, you know, at times like this, that's a no win job. But I found it I found her talking points to be pretty off, you know, which she she makes the claim that, you know, well, if you want better food in the stadium, this is what you got to do, you know. (laughs) So. Okay, uh, I think, it, and then she claims that the the Capitals lose money. I'm like, no, they no, don't. they don't. No, they don't. They did. They just literally had their first non sellout in nine years or something like that uh, the other night. So, and they were playing the Calgary Flames, not like they were playing the New York Rangers. So, you know, I, I found, you know, you could already see that the dis. I'm not. This is not a word, but I like it. Disingenuity. It dis. Ingenuity of uh, of her statements. Did you just make up a word? <laughs> I did. It's my favorite pastime. Um, so I, you know, I just find you could tell that they are flat footed here. Her her talking points going into that uh, interview or whatever press release. I'm not sure exactly where they got them from, but they're flat footed on knowing how to handle this. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the last thing in the story at the bitter end, they talk about uh, the NF- the NHL has recently 
made an effort to cater to the LBT, LBTGQIA, whatever that acronym is, right? So they've had a yeah, they've had a rainbow night, or you know, they've done some things like that. And I'm not here to criticize that necessarily. I mean, fine, but Qatar does not believe in that, <laughs> you know. And so then you've got another problem there, so too. So yeah, I agree. Um, I actually, but I don't think they care. I, you know, the cheerleaders are gay rights nights or whatever. I, I actually think. I don't. I actually think that's where they wouldn't put their influence, only because I think that's part of their reputation washing. They don't, you know. Maybe. I think that's that's why. But my point is, like, why sign up for the controversy? Oh, or no, even I the possibility. Yeah, I'm just talking about the motivations of these funds. I don't. I don't think. I think they're. To oh, well, them, and- They'll go, that's why they go spend money halfway across the world because they can be involved in these things. They can't be at home. Yeah, and, and also, here's another dirty secret. In my opinion about, again, having been deployed to the Middle East, a lot of those um, secular interests in, in religious um, religious rules that we're talking about here, um, my impression was in the Middle East, those things apply a lot more if you're middle income or lower income they didn't apply nearly as well to the people who are at the top of the food chain in places like that so um which is not yeah i totally agree but that's also that's that holds true that that that's a universal maxim but (laughs) but the, the the rules in in Islam are stricter about those kind of things so what i'm saying than it is in christianity and all of that and so they will aggressively enforce those rules in Muslim countries, except against the elite. And so the elite are who are controlling this fund. The senior levels of, of the Qatari government are controlling it. And so, yeah, what I'm, I'm, it's a long way of saying I'm agreeing with what you're saying a little bit, which is that the people are literally in charge. They're going to make their own people do it, but they don't really care about what they do. And so they may not try to enforce that stuff. Yeah, I don't think it. I don't. I don't. That's not. That would be a, a a small hill. They're looking at big hills. Yeah. So it's so it's a dumb idea. If Ted Leonsis, go find somebody else. That's our advice. He, but a, a little quick aside on Ted Leonsis. He really meant. He's about about. I'd say now about a two year campaign. Knowing, seeing the trends on Snyder. To be the most reviled sports <laughs> owner in Washington D.C., man, he's really he's really upped his game this last year and a half, two years. <laughs> and invite the crazy Muslim investment fund in. You know, there you go. <laughs> and the, where they're charging twenty five dollars a month to get the monumental sports package or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, it, there's a whole long line of uh, Wizards fans hate him. So it's kind well, of interesting to see done. a guy that everyone was Uncle Ted, you know, five years ago, <laughs> you know, and is suddenly like villain Ted. Well, he's definitely the worst now. He's the only villain left in town, you know, sports-wise. Well, the learners, but I think everyone realized they're on their way out. Yeah, and the learners haven't pissed off people half as much as Leon no. has. So good, good. So congrats, Ted, on that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, or as uh, Tom Lavero calls him, transparent Ted, which is always kind of funny. Um, That's like so, a Donald Trump level bad nickname. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and and you know, and and he was doing it in his latest column even more because the point was that they're they're saying nothing about you know there's there's a complete lack of transparency about this uh cutter deal you know so his uh, you know that the the irony there i'm not um, a nickname fan 
like that. I think Trump's name is, I'm not advocating for or against Trump here. I, I, the nickname thing is stupid. You know, it's really, it's really awful. And transparent Ted is just as bad. Um, well, we'll go on to, actually, we'll go on, that's a nice segue, into uh, kind of a lack of transparency about how the Ted McAvee show uh, in its various forms has worked over time. In uh, Andrew Marchand of the New York Post, he's a sports media business writer. He's one half of, uh, with John Olrand, uh, the, the, they do a podcast, it's quite good. Uh, but he broke this week that uh, Pat McAvee pays some lofty figures to at least two of their his regular guests everyone knows aaron Rodgers, and then also um sabin what's sabin's first name again uh, how do i forget this whatever the coach coach sabin nick, nick nick thank you nick sabin get huge payoffs for being on the show regularly um and that's interesting to me uh, on many, many levels, um, and Andrew Marchand, who's been a little bit of Pat McAfee's voice, you know, he's broken the news about the move to ESPN. He's sort of, I think, obviously been getting some back channel tidbits over the years, but I guess maybe that's over because Pat McAfee, even while confirming it, called uh, Marchand a rat. So, uh, <laughs> so following along at home there, but you know, some people will brush this off as as sort of how you do business. I, I don't know. I think there's something bigger here, especially given the jump to ESPN. Well, it's not news to state that an NFL player is paid to make regular appearances on a media outlet. That's not news in any case. Yeah, cast. especially coaches. Yeah, coaches' shows are paid. At the, Jay yeah. Gruden got paid by what's the station in D.C.? You know, 106.7. Is that what it is? Anyway, so that's not the news. The news is the enormous amount of money that Aaron Rodgers is getting paid. He's getting paid seven figures to appear on the Pat McAfee show. And um, now to backtrack, he just signed a five-year, $85 million deal with ESPN, what, a few months ago, six months ago or yeah, something? Yeah, summer. It's summer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, to move his whole operation there. Um so he's got money to play, but nonetheless, this call. And by the way, it's um, the column is Pat McAfee plays Aaron Rodgers, pays Aaron Rodgers millions for his exclusive exclusive entities, as Chris said on the New York Post, Andy Marchant. So that's a story. But um, somewhere in here, it mentions that it's quoting McAfee as saying his business is worth five hundred million dollars. Here it is. My company quote. My company went from evaluation of. Two million to five million to a company valued at five hundred million dollars in just a few years. That blew my mind. Five. This show because his company is so clearly what's happened here from a legal standpoint is that ESPN hasn't contracted with Pat McAfee. ESPN's contracted with a company owned by Pat McAfee that produces the Pat McAfee Show, and that's who's paying Aaron Rodgers five hundred million dollars. They have that much advertising revenue, I guess. That truly, truly boggled my mind. I, I, I had no idea that they could make that much money on that. That So now you see why they can afford to pay Aaron Rodgers a million bucks, millions of dollars to come on the show. Did you, did you know, would you have guessed that much of a valuation? I never would have. 
No, and I'm not sure I believe it yet either. So, you know, like how inflated True. is that? It's but uh, but You're the right. thing it's... it by 100 million. It's still kind of eye-popping, right? So it's kind of relative. Um, no, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have, you know. But I, I actually do, with the acknowledgement that local media has often paid for access to players and coaches. But they they almost always tell you, right? They, they, you know, it's that's a known thing. That's not like a... You know, that's not a, 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 a kind of shell game type of thing that they do. It's also, you know, significantly less money. I do. I actually do have an ethical problem with this. It's one thing when he does it at FanDuel or if he's doing it as his own company. But ESPN is a legitimate news gathering organization. You could make the case that it is the most established, well-respected, longest lasting sports news business on the uh, in in america and i think paying especially that much money without admitting it right he was forced to talk about this he was you know didn't come on and say hey welcome back this week to aaron Rodgers, you know paid spot you know type of thing which is what usually happens in local media when those kind of things are happening well um, i mean the 1067 jay gruden thing was openly a paid weekly appearance yeah that's what i'm saying so people yeah. know what they're engaging with um and Aaron, Ro- Aaron, Ro- Pat. Well, no, let me say this better. Pat McElvey uses that to break news with Aaron Rodgers, right? So he is actually being—he's paying for access to break news. That I think if it's on Fanduel, I guess all bets are off, right? The whole thing is a you know mishigash of you know weird and unethical and you know strange bedfellows. At ESPN, I think it's actually a pretty big deal, and. I would figure that they'd be, I guess they're not concerned about it, but I don't think that's how you'd want to operate, you know, and especially at those at those dollar figures and especially where the expectation is that Aaron Rodgers get, is only going to break news for the place that he's paid for. That starts to become a slippery slope. Yeah, um, and Aaron Rodgers is a weird dude. He says all kinds of strange things. You know, so there's, it's not just him. And he has a, now we know he has a financial incentive to do so. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, that's kind of where I was going with it is that he's said wacky things all the time, but he has a financial incentive to say the wackiest things on the Pat McAfee show, which then it's sort of like, uh, you know, uh, you know, self engulfing fire a little bit, you know, like McAfee is known to be a guy who breaks those stories. Now he's paying people to do it. It's kind of TMZ like. Because you know, like TMZ pays, spot you know for those stories, which like legitimate news outlets, you know, like NBC News does not pay people for for news. Uh, or you know, a bus ESP, boy or a car parker or whatever. No, yeah. and that's what TMZ does. Um, and um, like ESPN does not. If there's a paid appearance, that you know their anchors are paid. You know, everybody knows, but they don't go out and pay sources inside you know the i don't know the milwaukee brewers or whatever for milwaukee brewers news they're trying they're breaking stories just like anybody else and so yeah so it's almost kind of entertainment e because mcafee is paying aaron Rodgers to say crazy things and he's going to get in there and talk about taking ayahuasca and off season and you know all the stuff he talks about which is out there so yeah it, it's um I don't know if I'd call it slimy, but I guess I'm going to call it slimy. It's a bit slimy to 
um, do this. But on the other hand, did anybody think Aaron Rodgers was making weekly appearances for free? I no, I not he was I, being paid. Yeah, I, I, I was too, or realize, or thought there was some kind of fiscal relationship. But like I think an appearance it, once, okay, but regular, yeah. Re- the regularity of it, yeah. And I bet you, if you went and charted Aaron Rodgers saying wacky things, because remember, four or five years ago, Aaron Rodgers was just the kind of like aloof hipster best quarterback in the league, right? Like there, we didn't have all this there, outside of being marveling at his, you know on the field, you know, prowess, there really wasn't a narrative around Aaron Rodgers. But I bet you if you went and did like a little dot chart of weird things Aaron Rodgers said and his beginning to be paid appearances on the Pat McAfee show, you'd see a trend. Probably. (laughs) That's a good point. That is a good point because Aaron Rodgers has always been a weird dude, but he's always been very quiet he didn't talk about his life much. There were some stories about it, like conflict he had with like his brother and his parents and stuff or whatever. And I'm not getting it right, but there was a little bit of that, but there was nothing else. And so that is a good point. If somebody, somebody out there wants to do it, you yeah, know, do it a tinker plot or plot. Yeah. You know, data point plot or whatever. And, and, um, you know, cause like these guys having recruited many people for Hogstyle interviews, people will do interviews for you once or twice. But if you ask again, they're not going to. They're not going to let you keep coming back to them. You know, they're happy to talk to people once or twice, but you know, but that's it. And so, like Rogers would, sure, he'd probably do the podcast of a former Colts punter. Uh, you know, once, but he's not going to do it every single week without being paid. And and the contract doesn't have to say it necessarily. It doesn't have to say you will say wacky things. It's just understood and expected. You know, this is entertainment. At the end of the day, and that's what McAfee's paying him a ton of money for. So I think it's a bit slimy, but it's more, it's also like ESPN. I don't think it looks particularly good for them. No. You know, just hire Aaron Rodgers to be a commentator if you want to do that. But that's not really what they want. No. You know? And, and I, they want to disassociate themselves because they can say, well, McAfee produces his own stuff. It's not on us. We just broadcast it, you know. But no, they do have to own it. They're putting it on their airwaves. Yeah, that's that would be an insane defense. The um, the other interesting thing that's sort of buried in this Marshand article is just some numbers about the result. You know how the Pat McAfee show on ESPN is is rolling out. ESPN claims they're happy, um, but I, they do something that I noticed, which you know we don't necessarily have full ways to quantify. But Marshand reports that the ratings are not awesome. I think it's like he's averaging somewhere between two and 300,000 viewers on ESPN and that it loses a significant chunk of its lead-in, which is first take. So, you know, which I think is still ESPN's most popular show. So it's going off the cliff, going from first take to the Pat McAfee show in terms of viewership. And ESPN does something that I always mistrust a little bit, which is then they tell you about how well it's performing on all the other things. Well, one, we don't know. We don't. There's not a way to quantify that necessarily. Um, and are they? We also don't know how to what degree ESPN's benefiting from those things. Those are probably driving the five hundred thousand dollar valuation uh, for you know Pat McAfee LLC or whatever. But. Um, we don't know how we don't know what ESPN benefits from the the TikTok audience of Pat McAfee or or this that and the other thing, but they're they're quick to tell you those things when when the when the the num the actual numbers aren't awesome. Yeah, and ESPN 
hasn't exactly been honest over the years about the popularity of their network and their, you know, all the all the rest of it because they've been in huge amounts of trouble at times, you know, and they've lost significant audiences and all that. I de- first take is Stephen A. Smith, right? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely their biggest product by far. Stephen A. Smith is by far he's their highest paid personality. He's their high highest profile. He's their they're definitely their number one persona for sure. So it's um I you'd think they're a little bit disappointed, but on the other hand, it has not been that long. No, it's, it's been, been with like ESPN. Yeah, right. So there's there's certainly time for them to build up. Um I'd just like to point out one other thing in this column that apparently I didn't realize this, but Aaron Rodgers says has offered to debate Travis Kelsey on the COVID-19 vaccine. And, and Kelsey's done some commercials for Pfizer. It was on Monday Night Football. I, I, I'll go to what I always say when I hear stuff like this from athletes. And this is just a show. Rodgers just babbling you know, on the air just to get attention. Okay, he's not serious. But if you're paying any attention to what a couple of athletes are saying about a medical scientific issue like this, you really need help. Okay, neither Aaron Rodgers nor Travis Kelsey are qualified or should be opining on immunizations just because they're in the public eye. And it really annoys me when athletes and and, uh, actors and actresses do this. So just leave it alone. Just stick to football, especially a meathead like Travis Kelsey and Aaron Rodgers. Just let alone. Um, Well, no one wants to see that debate. But. And no. I, as as I actually think Kelsey won this round, just in terms of like quips in the public, and I think he has no interest in doing this debate. That's a stupid idea. It's dumb. But yeah. he did say, okay, okay, okay. The you know who's your owner again? <laughs> Woody Johnson. Who's this? The other giant pharma company, Johnsons and Johnson. So like Roger stepping out on a plank here looks pretty dumb. <laughs> It's, uh, I, I can't believe that Rogers is serious about it. He has but, been, he has his opinions about the COVID vaccine and that's fine. He's been very vocal about it. Um, but any, but if you're listening to Aaron Rodgers and Travis Kelsey for advice, you need to go find another place to find advice. But it, it does tie back to the story we're talking about in it because it's another example of Aaron Rodgers having to turn up the heat on the ridiculous things he's being well, paid to say. Well, that's why I brought yeah. it up, because he said this on the Pat McAfee show. Yeah. And, he, and they're, he's, they're not serious, okay? I mean, they're not—nobody want—the world does not need Aaron Rodgers and Travis Kelsey debating about anything at all, much less medical. And so it's—the reason why I brought it up is exactly that. This is a one way that Aaron Rodgers is being outlandish— because he's being paid on the show. He never would have said this six years ago. He wouldn't have said word one about any of it six years ago, let alone challenge somebody to debate. That's crazy. And um, that, yeah, this it's it's Aaron Rodgers stirring up trouble on the Pat McAfee show because that's exactly what he's paid to do. Yeah, 100%. Um, well, speaking of what how you might get paid to do the things you do, We've had, which actually has a connection to Aaron Rodgers. So I'll actually make, Aaron Rodgers was the first player to put out that kind of trial balloon about wanting ownership in the franchise that they play for as part of their compensation package. Uh, the, the the time, the Green Bay Packers said, you know, no thank you. And that did not 
uh, did, did not happen. But he was the first player that actually did that trial balloon. Well, now um, future phenom has yet to take a step, snap in the NFL, still may not even come out this year. Caleb Williams has a, maybe apparently, you know, like this is a bit of a gray area, too. But there are all kinds of stories out there in the NFL ether about him wanting potential stake in ownership for whatever team drafts and signs him. So this came out recently. What It's all over the place. I happen to be looking at an SI column, USC football rumors, Caleb Williams, insane ass for a potential football team by Martrand Bagavatula, I guess. Forgive me if I butchered that name, October 18th. Um, but now in the story, they mentioned that Mike Florio, a pro football talk, talked about this three months ago. So it's not new, but so the original credit for this appears to be that idiot Mike Florio. Um, look, this is d- dumb, okay? This is never going to happen. Um, the CBA does not prevent a player from owning, but the CBA does prevent like off-the-books contracts with players. Like, Caleb Williams can't go to his team and say, give me a $15 million marketing contract. That CBA does prevent that. And then there are, there's, I briefly looked and I didn't have time to really hunt for it, but there's something in the NFL Constitution as amended about owners playing on the field. So they can't do this. And Caleb Williams even suggesting this, if he did, is represents his ignorance of NFL rules. Now, it should be said that Caleb Williams hasn't actually said this. It's like Florio and a bunch of other people saying he said it. So he's not said word one about it. But even if, look, even if it was not against the rules, I can promise you the NFL owners will never, ever, 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 ever do this, ever. They do not want to open up the Pandora's box of having to give away ownership percentages of their team to players. So it's not allowed. It's not going to happen. It will never happen. But even if it was allowed, the NFL owners will never do it. That's my, for instant hot take on this. Yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree. I think uh, it would open up, even taking away the, the sort of like owners would never open up that part of the coffer, which I don't I, I agree with. But it also would just add unnecessary complexity to how the game is managed. Right. Like, Absolutely. how do you trade a player? How do you cut a player? You know, like what what if you trade that player? You trade, you know, Caleb Williams from the, you know, who's probably the Chicago Bears or the Carolina Panthers or whatever team is going to be at the top of the draft. Um and four years in, they trade him to the, you know, to Los Angeles Chargers. Does the stake transfer? Does well, does no, it doesn't. Have a, a financial interest in one team winning and one team losing? That even seems like worse than the the, the gambling, uh, you know, potential issues. Like you can't, you can't have, you know, they they were already worried about this with Brady, you know, with the rumors that he might come back in the Vegas ownership and all that we already even have a version of this where before it e- even that was all conjecture and rumor it was already causing all these people to have a tizzy about how that would work and blah 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 you can't manage the actual sport that way yeah and i can tell you that an ownership stake would not just automatically transfer over like that it's two it's different no. private entities that own these companies you could arrange a deal 
where you could make it happen. But that's, I, I think you said it best. It's bringing it to unnecessary complexity to it. But it's, but it's a total non-starter. The NFL rules do not allow owners, people with an ownership stake to play on, play on the field. So it's just a total non-starter. Now, the more interesting part to me, is, and anybody who thinks it's not, you don't know what you're talking about. The more interesting part to me is why did this get out in the first place? Let's assume for the sake of the argument that Caleb Williams did bring this up. We can trust that Florio's story isn't nonsense. Why would he say this? A real agent would not let him say it. Because a real agent knows that it's, this isn't a thing. So is this like Caleb Williams just being an inexperienced 20-year-old? Or is like his family saying this? Do they not know? Is somebody around him feeding stupid things into his head? I th- I just tend to think he does not have professional representation yet. That that has to be the issue. Yeah. Uh, the other, you know, and, and these kind of things just sort of begat this kind of like, you know, opining because we don't really know anything. But also, you know, because he's he is also threatening to play another year in college uh, as well. And I almost wonder those two kind of rumors out there or the, the you know, kind of scuttlebutt, is he trying to scare away teams at the top of the draft? Is this like a, a modern day John Elway type of situation where it's like, I don't want to play for you? Like, is like putting junk in the sort of communication stream, is there a way to try to scare a few of the bad teams at the top of the draft? Is it game and ship there? That was the other thing I thought about. Like, you know, like, because knowing that there's no real path to these things and coupled with the fact that he's also threatening to stay in college a year, is he trying, are they, is his team trying to somehow pre-manage where he might land in the draft? Well, yeah, because it's not nearly as financially damaging anymore. <laughs> Yeah, this same column mentions that he's forecasted to earn $2.6 million in NIL money this year. He doesn't really need to go to the NFL to make a lot of money. He would make more, you know, with an NFL contract, but he's a millionaire. You know, he can afford to say this is not a case of a player years ago being from a poor area, family struggling, you know, wants to put mama in a house. You know, he's got 10 brothers, all that, that horrible, or, you know, 10, you know, neighbors or whatever. That is not the case here. He is already wealthy. And so he can afford to go back to school for another year and roll the dice, Uh, you know? And so, yeah, I think this is because he's, there's been other rumors about him not wanting to play for some of the teams that are not good. Cardinals or whatever. Yeah. 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 And so this, I think probably is some of that. Yeah, yes, because again, I just don't think any NFL agent would ever make this threat because it's a total zero, you, you know, total. It's not a real threat. So, yeah, I think that's part of it. But at the bigger issue, you know, we talked about NIL. For better or for worse, it has given elite players a lot of leverage like this because, you know what, if I get drafted by the Panthers, I ain't going to the Panthers. I'll just go back to USC and I'll make two more million dollars. Bye, uh, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot of. I think the gamemanship isn't necessarily. I want some of the, you know, Panthers, uh, you know, ownership stake. I, I think they're. I think it's it's dumb ideas floated. You know, to almost. You know, if you have if you have if you flow this the system with enough nonsense, you can start to control the narrative. It could um, be that though, but maybe uh, we might be giving them more credit than it's worth. 
Maybe it's maybe just, just dumb. dumb. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just dumb. Sometimes yeah. the easiest Fair. answer is that you know, the most obvious. <laughs> well, the Oxcam's razor or whatever that's saying. Yeah, Occam's is. razor. That yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, there you go. That's what I was trying um, to Yeah, probably. Well, do you think here's an interesting question? Do you think you see a world where NFL players eventually get some kind of vested interest? Maybe it's part of the retire, maybe it's part of like the compensation where there is some kind of like you might see in other companies like employee rev share type of things. Well, Do you that, think they see a world in which that probably more for retired players where, you know, like small ownership stakes or a percentage of ownership goes to a player pool? Now, you can make an argument they already have that. Well, that's what I was about to say yeah. is that there, there already is revenue sharing. I mean, literally, they share 50 percent of the what's designated as football revenue. So that part. But no, I do not see that um, there. The, the, especially in the NFL, the relationship between the labor and the ownership is really contentious. They threaten a strike every three years, you know, over the CBA. The owners have given very little, you know, where you fall on your opinion of it, you know, it's not the point. Point is that the owners and the players have a bad relationship in the NFL. They have, we talked about last show about the NBA did a new deal it sailed kind of through, yeah, yeah, and it sailed through. That is not the case in NFL. The NFL owners are never going to just roll over and start giving um, ownership stakes in in the you know like having like stock options or something along those lines. Um, one, I don't think NFL rules will allow them to do it that way. I mean, the NFL requires like close held, closely held corporations. So they can't have like hundreds of players getting, you know, 0.05% stake in a in a team. You know, like the the Green Bay Packers are grandfathered in. And right. I can tell you, if even if you have a stock certificate on your wall, you don't really own the Green Bay Packers because you have a non-transferable asset that pays no dividends. <laughs> so you you literally they're literally printing money. And so you just have a souvenir. That's all it is. There's a core group that really owns the Packers, too. So, no, I don't think that's a thing at all anytime soon, no. If we go back to this idea of, like, how – well, we never heard Kayla Williams or a representative of Kayla Williams say any of this, but it's become, like, a now a four-month story, you know, with ebbs and flows. Uh, our last story is actually pretty interesting, and it was in, I believe, Front Office Sports, a story about how – NFL aggregators uh, on X, formerly known as Twitter, it's like it's like Prince, right? It's like it's like the sign formerly known as <laughs> Twitter. Like, former, it's our twenty first century version of Prince. This undecipherable symbol, formerly known as Prince. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, so their new rules have made you can get paid for engagement. So we've seen all kinds of junk accounts on Twitter that just you know actually you know the showing violence in the Middle East or whatever, because you can get huge engagements and you get these junk accounts that just monetize those eyeballs because Twitter has made it immensely easier to do that. So this story actually goes into NFL aggregator sites who have always existed um, and have always kind of put dubious information into the stream. The difference is that there's a financial motive now to even do that at higher volume. And you see some of these accounts making as much as two thousand dollars a month. This article claims um, from these kind of this kind of engagement scheme, um, and they actually reference and they go back to even your Florio comment. They actually try to chart the story that this Caleb Williams. We're not quite sure where the 
this emanates from is actually and, and is popped up again this week as an example of we'll string any rumor along we can because we get paid for that now. And the article actually does a fascinating piece too that says it they lose the this is this is X's um, attempt at trying to curtail what the monster that like, they they've unleashed, but that if you take the tweet down you lose that revenue stream. So not only is the there a financial motivator to put junk out there that is going to drive eyeballs, whether it's a horrible footage from a horrible massacre that the news won't show, or it's just junk rumors for the NFL and everything in between, you lose the money if you take it down. So the uh, sort of the unintended consequence is they can say, oh, sorry, 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 we, you know, this wasn't true or whatever, but they don't take it down. So the junk, so the, the deciphering on all parts of, of life, deciphering what's true and not true has gotten just incredibly difficult. And this is kind of an interesting sports-related example of that. Yeah, so the story that Chris is talking about is on front office sports, as he said. The spread of sports mis misinformation on X is increasingly apparent by A.J. Perez, dated October 20th. Um, and they reference in here some account called Ballsack Sports which advertises itself as a parody. And I mean, if you're taking a company with the name of Ballsack seriously, I think you need some help. And they've you tricked know. people. They've had people run with their headlines. Yeah, yeah, it's which like, is it's crazy. Like, it would be like CNN running, thinking that The Onion was true. Which has happened. It has happened, yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if CNN has done it, but legitimate media has taken Onion headlines yeah. and run with it. You know. So yeah, it's the same thing. here. So uh, look... The conservative crowd, speaking as the conservative person on this show, the conservative crowd was mad at Twitter before Elon Musk because it was pretty apparent to to my side of the aisle that Twitter was simultaneously repressing conservative opinions while promoting liberal opinions. Okay, right or wrong, that was the belief. I'm not going to debate it here whether it's true or not. What I'm saying is that was the belief, and so when Elon Musk bought Twitter for the express purpose, stated purpose, of opening up free speech. My side of the aisle was all for it. And that's why Elon is popular now with my crowd and not as popular with the other side of the aisle. But what this column here is saying is they've gone probably too far. And now the dirty little secret of Twitter is it made no money. I mean, that's not even a secret. Twitter made no money before. Um, and so part of Elon's charge to himself was how to monetize things. So one of the things he did was to sell blue check marks. Before Elon, you had to apply to Twitter and they would either entertain you or not. I tried to do that with the hog side and they just didn't even respond, you know, because we're not big enough. And, I'm, you know, it was worth a shot. But now anybody can go get a blue check mark. And so that aids in the push of misinformation because you're going to naturally take a blue check mark account more seriously well any jackass with ten dollars a month or whatever the cost is can go get a blue check mark so that pushes and you it. can only get access to the monetization with the blue check mark so it's also a gate you, you have to yes. get the blue check mark to take advantage of the monetization right right and, and simultaneously with that in twitter x now has gone so far trying to open up free speech that they are letting crap stay on, uh, you know, and, and this, 
idea of if you take the tweet down, then you're losing the monetization is incentive for people to keep crap up. You know, so there's a fine line here that somebody needs to find with the media, which is be fair to both conservative and progressive voices and not discriminate against either one while repressing the legitimate junk. That's possible. Media outlets have not figured that out yet, and Twitter or X now has probably gone too far the other way. It, you know, because if you're if they're promoting ball sacks, if they're letting people think ball sack sports is legit, and they're they're mentioning um, what's his name in here, Kleiman, I forget his first name. He's a legitimate um, NFL media writer. The first name escaped me, but apparently these some of these sites have taken his his tweets and kind of run with them and distorted what he's saying and everything. Um, so I think the moral of the story here is that Twitter and Elon has probably gone too far in this effort to more fairly balance free speech in the media. Well, when you're incentivizing, when you're financially incentivizing the broadcast of killing babies in Israel, you know, when when the when your financial incentive system supports that, whether it's a intended or unintended consequences, sort of not is immaterial. Uh, so, you know, this this is just a kind of less dangerous, obviously kind of dumb version of it when we talk about the NFL, but it also or sports in general. But it also means it also the this idea that there are human beings behind this is also like something you need to dissuade yourself from. These. NFL aggregator sites, even but even in the old Twitter or whatever, they're bots. They're scrapers, right? They're they're going and so they don't have. They're just looking for keywords and restringing it across as NFL news. There's no editorial. There's no vetting. It's just bots scraping the internet or scraping Twitter, whatever they're designed to do, find anything with a set of keywords, call that NFL news, and then immediately push it to that Stringer account. So this idea that there's even human, be you know, and then optimizing that for views and then thus the monetization, et cetera, et cetera. So this idea that there's even human beings behind this is a fallacy. It's not a guy in his home office doing this no it's not no like, not searching oh it's, is there a rumor about calvin johnson returning to yeah. the nfl or whatever yeah no, no like the hogsty is that we are a group of people who do this none of it's a not a career for us we do whatever we say is straight out of our heads but some of these like they mentioned jpa football and i'm off of twitter now but um JPA Football is an account i remember as one of these aggregator sites and it's mentioned in this column they would take all kinds of stuff you know, that's just garbage and push it. And you kind of learn that JPA football is not one site you need to pay attention to. But you're right. It's like anymore. It's sophisticated scrapers. You, you know, it's not a person anymore. It's somebody. Yeah, there's a person behind it ultimately. But it's it's a it's a system and an algorithm that's grabbing information and putting it out. And that, smart enough to know when and what's performing well. So then it doubles yes. down on the things that are performing well. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think. Elon and Twitter has probably gone too far and let too much, you know, again, there's a way to do it, to be fair to both conservative and progressive thought. And I don't think he's, I just think he, he's not suppressed the conservatives anymore, but he's gone too far. That's my uh, thought. Yeah. I think even, I, I, yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think, 
even a, a even a sort of um even-handed appraisal of of his time at twitter would a kind thing to, would be to say he's made rash decisions without understanding what the implications of that would be oh yeah for so, sure yeah for sure and even just changing getting rid of the world famous twitter trademark for x alone is a pretty dumb thing to do <laughs> yeah. yeah so so there we go on that one um Steve Hogstie, back to once a week, but you know, at least you have a somewhat competitive team to talk about. Well, three and three. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah we'll see what happens. It's uh, certainly more fun than talking about a one and five team. You know, give it that much. And uh, you know, we do all the talking on the Hogstie podcast, which is released every Thursday, um, uh, with me, Alex, and uh, Dave Earl, and we have all of our regular written content. So check it out. Uh- Awesome. And I'll just give a quick note. You know, we're trying to grow the show and try some new things. So if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple, we would love a positive review. Um, And uh, also give us a follow if you're on one of those services or wherever you get this so that we show up in uh, your feed every two weeks. So, Steve, I will see you in two weeks. Bye.